so yeah, anyway good song. Yeah. hi there everybody good song because our opening song you're listening to the arts report CATR radio 101.9 fm uh broadcasting from unceded muskegon territory in vancouver i'm your host ashley park and i'm joined with jake clark and andy ta yeah all right great so what are we talking about today fellas well, what we've talked, we, what we've been talking about for the last uh, what three months? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Brave new playwrights. That's right. We're going a full. We saw full, the shows. Uh, detailed review of all the wonderful shows that we saw. We saw, um, I, I believe, ten full uh, productions. Yep, ten, ten, two spread out over two nights. Yeah. Uh, I only saw five, but yeah, ten mm-hmm. in total. Yeah, ten in total, and uh, mm-hmm. there are two different programs. There's the first one, and then there's the second one. So the days are alternating. If you want to go see Brave New in the future, just a reminder. Well, let's get right into it. We went opening night on Thursday, last Thursday. We did, and that was Bait the Hoarder, uh, Onward and Upward, Pizza Night, Onward and Up, sorry, Pizza Night, and Audition. All right. And the first time I I saw this program, I was like, Audition? Mm -hmm. Eli Roth walked out of that movie. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Like, are they going to do, like, like really compress that? Because that'd be like... If it was like a 15-minute one-act, that would be like five minutes of wildly exploitative romantic comedy and then ten minutes of torturing a guy to, t- to near death. You kept on like telling me that like during the entire time. Like, oh, I addiction's that there. joke to death. I know. Yeah. You did. For people who don't know what the movie audition is, yeah. really give them a 30-second synopsis. You got, Go. you got five seconds, dude. Five seconds. Five Intense seconds. Japanese horror movie about a guy who makes girls audition to be his girlfriend and then the one he picks is insane. Like, like, not like she's crazy. Like, we, the jury, find the defendant insane. Like, she basically tortures him to almost to death. All right. So that's what, you know, the movie is about, but this play is completely different. Let's yeah. start with Bait. Who wrote it? So Who Bait was written by Alisa, Alyssa Heroes and directed by Barbara Ellison, featuring Ed Fong and Callum Gunn as Tadao and Andy, respectively. Oh, just so I know, it's Alisa Hirose. Hirose. Yes. My bad. Uh, and... It was a really uh, touching play. It was about yeah. a uh, father, a Japanese father, coming out into the morning, early in the morning, to fish and wait for his son. But his son actually doesn't show mm-hmm. up. But who shows up instead? Andy, his son's boyfriend. Yep. And uh, he doesn't know his son is gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's, it's interesting. This is a really – this they had very good chemistry in this. This was well acted and well written. I'd say this was probably the single best – across the board mm-hmm. uh, put together of the plays. Maybe, maybe maybe decisions, decisions. But this one, their chemistry is very good in conversation. Like, the, it did a good job of conveying, like, the awkwardness of not knowing someone. But at the same time, like, it, it kept moving. You were interested in what these two were talking about. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think the one thing I liked about the, uh, uh, the play was the fact that the uh, father figure was really I, I think that he he felt really heartfelt in a way yeah like, like he had so. that realistic kind of like uh and like the tone of speech is really gruff and just like you know you know him he's that dad who's kind of like ah you know dad you know are you happy i'm a, i'm not a doctor and he's like mm, and he's like <laughs> well yeah. son do you want me to be honest about that and, and he yeah. loves to go fishing. It's really funny. Oh, yeah. I got a question. Is that a Vancouver thing, all the fishing? Because a lot of people I know fish from all walks of life mm-hmm. here. And I find that interesting because in Ontario, it would not be the same distribution. 
I have no idea. Have you gone fishing, Andy? I've never gone fishing. I don't think I've known anyone who regularly goes fishing, so mm -hmm. I don't know. Because my uncle is a huge fishing enthusiast, and uh, he's he, there are fishing clubs, apparently, and actually one of the members of uh, the Love Information cast, who I know from another one of uh, my classes, he's apparently quite the fisherman, and he was talking at length about the benefits of catching your own salmon. So I was wondering if that was a thing. Like, I mean, granted, if there was a, the abundance of salmon, I'd, I'd consider taking that because I love salmon. Mm -hmm. But uh, <laughs> but no, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, but um, w uh, one thing getting I, back to the topic. Getting back to the topic, the thing I really liked is that it was really like touching in a way. And then there was a lot it of was, um, yes, a lot of miscommunication. And I think it was mm. the funniest thing was the dad was so blunt. He was like, "How white people?" The best line. And it was at the very end, which mm -hmm. was uh, when Andy, they, they say, oh, yeah, we should do this again sometime because they've gotten to like each other. Andy goes, uh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't bring bait. I didn't know to bring bait. And he's like, well, I didn't know my son was gay. We were both misguided. Yeah. <laughs> which is a great line. It was delivered excellently, too. Um, and that, that was, it, it was, it was all in all a very well put together play. It I think so, too. I think, moments. and we actually had an interview with the director, Barbara Ellison, I thought it was, the pacing was really well done. Because yeah. in a touching comedy, if, especially comedies, if you get the pacing wrong, your jokes won't land. Oh, yeah, because they fall flat. Like it. Mm -hmm. And then it'll just... And then when you... When the actor is expecting a laugh and they don't uh, get it, then they kind of... Um, you know, then they... They're not lose saying the, anything. They, yeah, they lose their rhythm. Yeah. But when you're laughing, like, a lot, then, you know they get even more encouraged to do more. Mm. Is there a reason why, like, the son's boyfriend just decides to go visit the dad oh, alone? He and of? the son were both supposed to go, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, what ended up happening was the son, Kosuke, who the boyfriend calls Coco, yeah. uh, he bails, like, and he oh. says he's sick, but the dad says, oh, he fakes all the time. Yep. Oh. Wow, what a loser. <laughs> the interesting thing is you get a good impression of the son, too, yeah. who is not a character there from their recollections of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, the, the son doesn't mm -hmm. appear in the play, but um, mm -hmm. yeah. the the dad, Tadao, and the boyfriend, Andy, they, they talk a bit they about him. They do reflect him. on him. And, like, yeah. and the, the, the thing is that Andy is an actual doctor and was sort of pressured into that by his parents. Like he says, it wasn't my first choice, but it's rewarding. It is. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he, he is sort of interesting because Ko uh, Kosuke is in art school. Yep. And <laughs> you can see his dad's like, eh. Yeah, my son, art school. My son's in, in <laughs> art school. Okay. It's sort of like, eh, okay. He's, mm -hmm. he's not like the stereotype, you gotta be a doctor. Gotta be a doctor. It was like, yeah, okay, he's in art school. That's great. But yeah, a very good opener, I think. Yes, it was. I, it really warmed up the audience, and they are receptive. <laughs> it warmed them up for the hoarder too, which yeah. was written by uh, uh, Olivia Ite. She actually came to yep. our uh, show. There. Yep, every bit as vivacious and uh, vivacious then as she was on our show. Mm -hmm. uh, and let's talk about the hoarder. Uh, talk about a tone change. So the hoarder is a monologue, really. Mm -hmm. It was directed by Matthew Sprost, and it's delivered by Zach Curry, playing a character named Rhodes. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, it's about a man who yeah. is keeping these strange boxes in his home, yes, in his apartment. They have these tubes going into them into a hall tree. Yeah. And you, the, there's a coat covering what they lead into. But that I picked it out almost immediately. Those are intubators because I was raised in a family of doctors. Mm -hmm. So those are IVs. Uh, so what happens is this guy starts this monologue. Uh, and I will say that there was... 
the acting was, I would say, generally solid. For bait, it was very good chemistry-wise. Zach Curry gave the best performance I've seen in a while, like in theater. Mm-hmm. It's probably going back, honestly, to um, to Vancouver Fringe. Yeah. Because this is a role. It's, it is a monologue. It's this guy monologuing about these things, and there's this reveal that you kind of anticipate, not really, sort of, because of the the way it's set up. But it veers between these moments of, oh, this is going to be a monologue about this guy being sort of victimized by his compulsive hoarding. And then these moments of terrifying insanity. Like, these moments where this character reveals himself to be a person who is mentally ill and deeply psychotic. Mm-hmm. And probably horribly traumatized, too. No, it's just really well acted in the way that he didn't lose any of the tension that he started in the beginning. No. Uh, and there was already a lot of, like, tension from the start just because the set looked really creepy. Like, I have to give props to whoever did the set design and the picture mm-hmm. of the uh, the guy that Rhodes, that, uh, the character, is yeah. totally obsessed with because that picture creeped me the flip out he he paints he did a picture of his his lover yeah yep uh, just his face on the box and the face is really it's a really weird creepy drawing it's a very like, creepy drawing it looks kind of like an emaciated ed sheeran a little bit it did it did um yeah and yeah. it turns out that the guy is spoilers in the box yeah he's in the box as are a couple of people who looked for him and they've been intubated with what i think according to it was a concoction of sleeping pills yeah to keep them unconscious, and he's been hoarding them for yeah. upwards of a month. <laughs> Did you want you? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's creepy. creepy. It sounds, sounds creepy. Well, and they go yeah. into that, too. Like, it's just... And at that point, it's the thing, the comparator I kind of thought of was J- Jake Gyllenhaal uh, from Nightcrawler. Yeah, yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal, just in general. <laughs> no, like, no, just... No, I'm joking. So, so, but, like, I mean, I mean, like, the specific performance in Nightcrawler. This guy got more emotive and crazy than yeah. he did in Nightcrawler. His in Nightcrawler is very calm and building to creepy this guy built because it's obviously people who don't know what nightcrawler is can you give them a very short it's a movie where jake gyllenhaal gets footage for the news of crimes and he ends up getting very involved in that he's this this the same performance is this moments of creepiness with these big puppy dog eyes to them and the difference between this and nightcrawler is that rhodes has more you realize that he is a person who is deeply disturbed and who comes from that. In Nightcrawler, you know really nothing about that character from the start. So he, he's, by the end, like, you realize this person's a monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the hoarder was a different thing than that. Because like, this is obviously, what it, it's described as in the blurb is the uh, dark obsessions of an absurd mind. And I wouldn't even go with absurd. I would just say straight up. Like, yeah, absurd may not be the best word. but Yeah, it kind of connotes like... Um, I don't know. Like a wackiness? Well, kind of wackiness, right? Goofiness. Yeah, it's not goofy at all. It's keeping yeah. people in boxes, man. Yeah. Which is sort of, the, the, sort of the way they play it in the beginning when he's... Because he tries to actually keep that knowledge from the audience, it yeah. looks like. Because he seems to be explaining himself and trying very hard. To show that his much more whimsical, like, romantic side. Like, yeah. Because like, he does talk about how he and... Um, what's his name? Um, the, I, I can't remember. No, the, the guy that he's obsessed with. Um, I can't remember, right? actually. I, we, we just talked Emaciated about it. Emaciated Ed Sheeran. Anyways, uh, he and this guy 
like met and they were like stuck in an elevator and it's like oh my gosh we're stuck in an elevator but it was super cute yeah and there's like he has more plans for that too like for them to eat in the elevator yeah they have like a picnic and you're all like Mm -hmm. oh he's just he's just a little wacko a little weirdo but and then he talks about little um other things that happened to that kind of deeply affected the death of his parents um for example how they just left him behind Mm -hmm. and he really doesn't like that he doesn't like the fact that anyone gets left a behind. A crushing fear of loneliness yeah. is also another thing in it, mm-hmm. which is... It, it's really creepy how that's played. Like, in Reflections of His Past, too. I was wondering when this was set, because... It seemed really mo- modern to me. A detail in his past is that his parents and he were hiding from this police force yeah. in their native country, and they had to kill his infant brother because he was crying. Mm-hmm. And I thought if this is set in, say, the 50s, he could have survive the holocaust and it's probably the 50s oh probably not though no no this is set contemporary something they what i actually asked uh olivia about that and she said it's probably an eastern bloc country which ah, okay huh. east germany the stasi yeah i can see that i i can kind of see that happening just mm-hmm. um and that'll <laughs> that'll do things to your brain mm-hmm. uh, i could i could also see like modern day um mm-hmm. like a uh, modern day slavic city maybe crimea Ah. that could potentially if we're if we're trying to make it more like if we're trying to like set a date on it mm. that could potentially be one maybe but like this there's yeah yeah uh anyway let's go to the next one very it was a very well acted play onward and up really yeah. dark uh, yeah, yeah zach curry i, I want to see this guy in some in other things too i would like to see his career because he was i this is nothing on the rest of the actors in brave new but he was he's gave the best performance i've seen in a while all right Really right, let's go to the next one, Onward and Up, a musical comedy that follows a woman named mm. Allison and a man named Nick as they have a very bland dinner, and they both yeah. want to break up, but they want the other person to do it. Yeah. Written by Emily Peck, directed by Sarah Rose, <laughs> and uh, Allison was played by Meg Kalea, and Nick was played by Matt Gemarino, and the pianist was Barbara Choi. The pianist is interesting because the pianist is just sitting just off. <laughs> um, and you can see the audience can see her, and I was wondering if it was gonna be like, um, oh, who's the guy, the the guitar playing dude from the Modern Lovers in um, uh, There's Something About Mary. The there's this movie called It's some, There's Something About Mary, mm-hmm. which is a Farrelly Brothers movie. It's the sort of good one, um, uh-huh. other than Kingpin. Uh, and one of the I can't Jonathan Richman, Jonathan uh, is a musician, and he's goes throughout the movie as like the Greek chorus. He plays his guitar and he sings songs appropriate to the movie, and he ends up getting shot accidentally. Anyway, the pianist uh, in this one doesn't have that. Has role. no lines, but I was wondering yeah. if she was going to break into song as well. Mm-hmm. I was always wondering that because she seemed she was visible. You could see her on stage. Mm-hmm. So as uh, Jake was explaining, she, there was a live musician there, which is really interesting. This is mm-hmm. a, a musical, and how did you how did you enjoy it? Um. The uh, what this kind of reminded me of a little bit was the interior monologues in um, Fifty Two Pickup, which is the mm-hmm. first show I ever reviewed for the Arts Report, uh, which was a show about a relationship, uh, which was and that was and a breakup, the ensuing breakup, and the gimmick for that was that the scenes were written on fifty two cards and they do fifty two pickup scenes. Um, in this case, the songs I thought went on a little long. I think that was the point. Mm-hmm. What did you think of it? I I liked it, but at the at the same time, I was getting a little tired mm-hmm. by the third, uh, fourth song, and because they weren't doing anything except having their little internal monologues away from each other, and then coming back to the table and smiling like haha, like you know, because the other person can't see their internal monologue. Yeah. So I thought maybe it could have 
been paced a little bit faster. A little bit. Just a little bit faster. But overall, pretty enjoyable. I really liked it. It was all, you know, Emily Peck, when she uh, she wrote this, it's all original, like, you know, music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she, she, did, she, she did everything. Wrote and, the lyrics to it in another one of her creative writing classes. Yeah, apparently. and, you know, it's uh, really hard to write a musical. Do, so, they, do they do a duet? Yeah, they did do duets oh, at times, yeah. too. Yeah. Get that full-on musical experience, right? Yeah. The, um, and then after that, after the intermission, was... Pizza Night. Yes. By uh, Kyle uh, Schoenfeld. Schoenfeld. And uh, he, we actually had him on the show, yes, too, and did. he talked about it, and he didn't give too much away, and I'm very happy that he, he didn't because he had a really good time. He, he pitched this show as uh, a remix of The Terminator, mm-hmm. uh, like a pizza order means The Terminator, and I thought he was exaggerating. He wasn't. Mm-hmm. So the director was Brennan Campbell, uh-huh. uh, Adrian was uh, played by uh, Peter Gatsby, Miranda, uh, Jessica Hood, and Paul was Kevin Kokoska. And what is Pizza Night about? So it's this couple, Miranda and Paul. Like, they're both very busy people. Miranda is going everywhere for work. Paul works at, I think, like a a software place. Yeah, game development. Yeah. And, like, they have some issues, but they're a fairly content couple, and they have a pizza night sometimes, and they just want to stay in. Mm-hmm. And Paul is friends with Adrian, this a programmer. Weird guy. He has, like, tangents about the Zambezi River. Uh, and so Miranda's like, we got to have a pizza night. we got to call in. And then Adrian shows up. He's wearing black leather jacket, black yeah. leather pants, yeah. white, the sort of white Reeboks you see in an 80s exercise video and a tuxedo shirt. And his hair is really, really He's awesome. got, like, the Skrillex haircut. Yeah, he like, got Skrillex haircut. Almost, exa- like, not like Danzig's embarrassing son haircut, but a blonde version pretty close to that. Yep, yep. Like, and... shaved sides completely. And he is, he's been sent back in time to prevent them from conceiving the, the tyrant of the future. Named Sigurd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that touch. Nice nice little Germanic touch. Mm-hmm. And Ooh, the couple instantly think that he is a crazy person. Yeah. Like, you he... are, you got, there's a touch of something wrong with you there, Adrian. But Adrian is insistent that he's actually from mm-hmm. the future. They never really reconcile that because, like, his, what looks like a ray gun is is a water gun. And they, they ask, is that a water gun? And his grenade is an egg timer is a prop and he says is that an egg timer like the so he could just be nuts there's mm-hmm. they do leave that up to his but still he comes in dressed like this and tells you this you know <laughs> what are you gonna do mm-hmm. um so how did you like it i liked that a lot it was fun mm-hmm. it was a whole lot of fun to watch like because what i was expecting was like, i thought and he said the terminator there would just be like a reference to the terminator mm-hmm. like it would be like a guy not like Maybe just a guy knocking on the door, like, are you Paul and Miranda or something? And it just turned out to be, like, a normal night, a normal relationship play. No, this one carries that one pretty through, well mm-hmm. through. It was, it, was, it was very fun. I would say it was fun, too. I think mm-hmm. at times maybe um, the, the, they need a little more chemistry together because— That's true. The chemistry was a little— little A little shaky. It was opening night— so I will give them the yeah. benefit of the doubt. Yeah. But at times there was a there were some beats that went on a little too long. It seemed like somebody like uh, forgot to like move right in. Well, that happens, you know. That's a, that that is a theater thing, and mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of that, you know. All right, let's talk about the last show of program one, which was Audition by Nathan Smith. Uh, the director was Caitlin Fish, and the cast was Brian Lou for Theo, Theo, and Carly Pocarati for Emily. 
and it's a comedy drama about a young man who has a bit of a relationship problem. He's not picking up his phone, and he crossed paths with a very, very much aspiring actress in a coffee shop. And it's it's manic pixie dream girl, the short play. Little bit, but they don't get together, and she basically forces him to read a script with her, and then they discover through talking to uh, one another in character, not a character, their you know hopes and. Yeah, and they, they take part in this weird audition scene, mm-hmm. which involves a character named Stanley, and I was like, are they going for a streetcar named Desire? Because <laughs> most auditions I've seen involving a character named Stanley involve a Stella! Stella! <laughs> Sorry to the people who might be listening to this with headphones. <laughs> um, but no, it's like it's like a weird... Sort of noirish relationship, yeah, very role much play like kind of thing. Actually, very much like Dead Money, <laughs> mm-hmm. which, which we'll get into. Which is another play, yeah. Yep. yeah. And um, one thing I really liked about Audition is the fact that it seemed to bend reality. When they got into character, the lights changed and everything. Yeah, it bent is same sort of the same gimmick as uh, um, uh, Onward and Up a little mm-hmm. bit, like uh, more grounded in reality than that, but so so. Mm-hmm. Um, I I liked it. I I thought. Um, they had a lot of fun. I really liked the actor for our Theo a lot. Yeah, he yeah. was he he had a good deadpan, I think. Yeah, he had a really situation. good deadpan. Uh, to go against uh, Emily. Yeah. Uh, who who uh who's a little like, you know, wacko and bombastic, everything. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which which un- understandable. Like, yep. So yeah, I thought that was a nice way to close it. It's a mm. you know, it, it's a nice way to close that night, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, I I would say that um, um, at, at times it it felt like the it felt like pizza night at times I felt like sometimes the beats were a little too long. Yes, yeah. it did, and that that is a common thing in that was a common thing in Festival of Dionysia. That was a few things that is to do I think sometimes with the amount of rehearsal time. Yeah, generally, especially with yeah. a two person play, two or three person play. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go yeah. right into. Program two, yep. uh, first show, Thump Thump. Uh, it's an absurd comedy about a woman named Maribel yep. who finds her former best friend uh, demand a, a weird apology. It's like very weird. They have a very weird relationship. And yeah. basically they both jumped off the top of a really tall building. One of them just regular and one wearing base jumping clothes. Yeah. The, the playwright was Lisa Lafferty. We had her on air. She's also a uh, yeah. associate producer <laughs> of the show. And the director was Don Millman. The cast was Joely Segal as Maribel, Yumi Ogawa as Olivia, and Andrew Wade as Tommy. Yeah, that was... Andrew Wade pops up in another show. He just had a sort of cameo in this one, which mm-hmm. is funny, though. As Tommy. All right, let's talk about Thump Thump. And Andy, you saw this show with me. Mm-hmm. I did, yeah. Mm-hmm. What did you guys feel about it? I thought the visual gag of the base jumping outfit was well done. I really liked that. That was funny as heck when she raises up her arms yeah. and she's basically Batman. She does like the whoosh, whoosh. Like, right? You're even smiling when I'm like, I'm miming it here at the radio station. Whoosh, It was whoosh. enjoyable in that regard. The mm-hmm. blocking was weird for it because they I have to... I have to agree. It's set while they're falling. Yeah. Like, the, in their defense, it's really hard to do that, so... Mm-hmm. I was talking to Andy about it. What mm-hmm. I really liked is I would have loved to see them when they are walking towards one another or moving away from each other to kind of like do like a swimming motion. Yeah. Like you're you're in air. Like for me, I thought that would be funnier. Yeah, like it does seem kind of um or the the quote unquote gimmick of the um 
the following just doesn't seem that important. Yeah. It just seems kind of like there. Yeah. Um, and I, at times. I wish there was like a bit more to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically like one of them is actually doing it for the, for fun. Yeah. For, for the base jumping. The other one is you can kind of assume it like mm. she's, you know, suicidal. They're yeah. not, they, they never make that clear. They never Th- make this it is clear, absurd. So you, yeah. You, you can, give, you, you no, can kind of like connect hints. the dots. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, during during their fall, they reveal things to one another and kind of like a, you know, we're both going to maybe die, so let's reveal everything. And then... Which is, <laughs> I, I, I like that device here. Yeah, I like that device here. I just thought there was, like, too many reveals happening. Like, they should have maybe, like, gone with... Was a, it three? A, gone with, like, a few really strong ones that we can, like, stick with. Mm. Um, I really like the turtle one. I just wish we... Like, you know, like maybe they chose that one or if the boyfriend one was indeed the strongest one, go with the boyfriend one because that was what led yeah. to that really good, like, Tommy <laughs> call out. But I, I lost a bit of steam when we kept on, like, confessing, confessing. Yeah. Especially since um, as you're watching this, you're very acutely aware that they're uh, supposedly falling the entire time. Yeah. And it's like, wow, this is like 10 minutes. And they do point that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I know I know they do. But mm-hmm. like... I really loved the end, though, when they're both yeah, on the ground. the ending is funny. Yeah. Yeah slowly lifting their arms yeah Yeah. i thought that was really good so uh that was thump thump next Mm -hmm. go let's go to the next one which um dead money dead money by hope thompson which i was surprised does not have anything to do with a mortgage right you're telling me about what mortgage meant yeah originally it was coins that you could get a house before you died was Mm -hmm. the the pitch Ah, french for death and then gauge for like Money. Money. Yeah. money. money. Money, money. And, uh, or I, I think that's it. My French is not very good. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, Dead Money, Hope Thompson. The director was Jordan Patterson, the cast, Jesse Miller as Danny, Lucy Rex as Eva, and Nathan Witte Witt, as uh, Johnny. And yeah. basically, I'll set the scene for you. Interior, hotel room, New York City, <laughs> 1949, nighttime. Very noir. Yeah, it, this is a noir mm-hmm. down to it. Like Eva, Eva's a femme fatale. Danny's a sucker straight uh, is a sucker straight man, and Johnny's like a, a hood sort of looking to go straight. It it, it is an archetypical noir. Um, mm-hmm. It's like two noir stories, one after another. Like yeah, two, yeah, two, pretty two, much. Two, two, two like prototypical ones. Yeah. Would you like to explain, Andy? So like the first one is um you know the femme like femme fatale taking advantage of this well, the sucker right yeah Johnny yeah, like he screw, Danny. she screws him over, mm-hmm. um, and the second one is like. Um, kind of different no no it's johnny right mm-hmm. yeah johnny johnny's yeah. the one that she screws over so sorry don, don, johnny's the nice guy and danny is the, the hood he's, well he's also a nice guy he's also a nice guy yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're both they're, they're both, both they're both nice guys yeah and the second one is like where she kind of uh puts all her her uh charms yeah that's it all on this one guy basically who, yeah. who mm-hmm. is uh who's also like their third partner mm-hmm. and she wants to live happily ever after with him and at the end, he's, he, he rejects it's her. It's not, yeah, mm-hmm. really in the cards. How did you guys like the twist of uh, the two twists in this, uh, what appears to be a stereotypical noir? Um, you want to go first? Well, the, um, there's a gay twist because it is a full love triangle. It's a full yeah. um, love triangle, baby. So Johnny and Eva are <laughs> engaged. Um, Eva has been sleeping with Danny. Mm-hmm. And it turns out Danny has also been sleeping with Johnny. I don't think Danny's ever slept yeah. with Johnny. I think it's, he just... Really it, it seemed like romantically he, yeah. liked him. It might have been really re- there. There was though a gay subtext. No, no, no there no, was, it was the, text. No, it was, there was text. It yeah. wasn't subtext. Which is the funny thing was because I'm a, kind of obsessed with the room, mm-hmm. which also has 
a well-meaning but oblivious guy named Johnny whose fiance cheats on him with his dubiously employed friend with very great homoerotic overtones between the two of them and also ends up dead. <laughs> I I was wondering if this was some bizarre remix of no that. Way, no way, no way. No, I, I strongly I think doubt like, it. Yeah, I think the influence is just more on, on noir. It's kind of a reconfiguration yeah. of like noir mm-hmm. sensibilities, especially with regards to women, to female characters. Yeah. Go ahead, what do you mean by that? So like noir classical noir is um, mainly a product of the 40s and 50s where mm-hmm. importantly like there's a production code in place in hollywood where oh yeah where bad people are punished right and mm-hmm. noir tends to feature if not outright criminals then people who are committing crimes and the femme fatale is almost always like despite being this kind of figure of female independence in some ways is how you positively view this character like she will always get arrested, she'll get killed, something will happen to her at the end, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is and in Dead Money, like at the end of the play, where it seems like she's about, you know, to meet um, some kind of horrible fate. Heartbreak or yeah, some other kind of horrible fate, the cops are gonna come at her. Mm-hmm. She ends up kind of walking away with all the money and then you know rihanna's work come comes yeah in. yeah work, that, work, 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 work. that was interesting because otherwise the soundtrack was period accurate mm-hmm. um and this was it was solidly acted um uh, lucy rex who played eva mm-hmm. is very uh very striking woman mm-hmm. uh and she did a good care d- job of like because as a femme fatale it's usually a very um stiffly sensual role and Mm -hmm. her character kind of unravels a little bit yeah because she 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 really liked uh danny yeah and then she realized that danny you know was more into johnny a little bit and that is sort of yanks the rug out from under that plan that's right that boat see (laughs) (laughs) good boat see sorry that's that's what i think and i always say see at the end but what did you guys think about the um, the gay angle in this love triangle. I didn't expect it. Oh mm-hmm. uh, yeah, neither did I. Mm-hmm. It's. I think it's also like another because I think noir tends to be fairly hetero in its um its orientation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only uh, two coded gay characters I can think of in classic noir are Fanti and Mingo from the Big Combo, and they both get killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they're not protagonists either. Mm-hmm. Um. One thing I would say is then Danny walked in with those pants really, 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 really high yeah. up. I was just like, yo, to Andy. So like, Danny's wearing, like, suspenders. Yeah, he's, like, like, he's wearing, like, slacks, like, 40-style slacks. They're up to, like, above his stomach. Yeah, like, stomach. like up to his, up like to his navel. It was great. And uh, a white, like, an Italian dress shirt. Like, uh, um... No, he was wearing the wife beater. No, I know. That was the... Yeah. Italians, Italian. That's that's a joke. Oh. But uh, oh okay. But yeah, yeah. it's like like a sleeveless, uh, ribbed undershirt. Oh gotcha. Yeah. He's got he's I got gotcha. some musculature going on yep. there too. Yep. I mean, guy was very wide. With the yeah. set, with the hats and everything. Yeah, it is sort of a newsboy cap. It's, it's a good look for him. He was rocking mm-hmm. it. Um, and then yeah, which is funny because that is sort of a play about you know death. And then afterwards, Stuck in Transit happens. Yep. So which let's is talk about, about being on the other Stuck side of that. Stuck in Transit by Hallie Ann Jacobson. It was directed by uh, Gavin Chima. And the cast was Marion Barry as Christina and Christy Fielding as Molly. The funny thing is, I recognize Marion Barry because she was in Love Approximately last year. Not only that, she was in yeah. a few UBC um, things as well. She was in Arabian Nights, Eurydice, the yeah. Tenendo uh, Wildfell Hall, the Backy 2.1. Uh, I really liked her in Eurydice the most. I thought she did a great Love job. Love Approximately was a UBC thing. It was uh Love Approximately? Film. Yeah, UB- a theater oh, film. Oh, sorry, sorry. Collaboration, yeah, yeah. yeah. Last year, uh, Tom Schultz class did. Yes. It was yes. quite good. Mm-hmm. I, I have fond memories of that. And she is oh, yeah. 
played a good character in it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Stuck in Transit. So about two young women, and basically they are waiting for a bus to the afterlife. Yep, that that is the twist. Too. Yeah. What's your twist? Because you read the title, and you're like, oh, it's one of those waiting on the bus stories. It's like yeah, okay. <laughs> the big city, <laughs> urban malaise. We oh, wouldn't. No. We wouldn't know anything here about stories set on a bus, would we? No, not at all. No. And um, they go straight up, like, hey, are you, are you know, how long have you been dead? Yeah. And she's like, you can't ask people that. And it's, like, crazy. It, it, like, it, it kind of goes, yeah, into that. There's a funny Sieg on Tim Burton that I kind of enjoyed. I thought it was okay, but at the same time, I thought their conversation, although interesting and revealing of each other's character, didn't really push the plot as much as I wanted it to have. I felt it could have lifted more plot. There wasn't because you can move the Tim Burton conversation to any point in that story, right? Like you can just move it anywhere, and it wouldn't change like the flow of it at all. It's just like I yeah, just don't it's, like it's just it's just cute, right? It's, it's just, just cute. Yeah, it was cute, yeah. right? So I, I enjoy the dialogue. I thought it was like fun to listen to, like these two girls talking. But at the same time, I can't stand just listening to two people like talking, unless you know I see something changing on, you know, in the play itself, and it just didn't and maybe that was like the entire point that these inane conversations that we have don't really you know change anything about our feelings on the afterlife we're always going to be scared or you know some people are ready some people aren't but at the same time i just wanted more things to be happening in the background yeah i actually kind of had a funny idea while watching this this thing was of phil specter going to the afterlife and not believing he's in the afterlife and like shooting care on the ferryman in the head because he's phil specter <laughs> Like he's he's there and he sees Dee Dee Ramone and he's like, Dee Dee, where am I? What happened? And this would take place in alternate reality where this is stuck in transit. Jake's rec- fake. <laughs> he's yeah. recording end of the century and an earthquake happens. The building all, like, collapses on him and Dee Dee Ramone. Music. Yeah. <laughs> and like, like Caron's like Mr. Specter and he shoots Caron in the head and that's when he realizes that he's in the afterlife because Caron's just mildly annoyed. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh my God, I'm dead. He feels his head. Where's my skull? Where's my skull, Dee Dee? This I'll, is I'll so write. specific. Yeah, I know, Jake. <laughs> I, I have ideas like this. Uh-huh. They're generally terrible and sticky, but they're there. All right. Well, we have another theme of, you know, the ghost in the afterlife. Yeah, the next a... play was Medium by Carla Commanda. Featuring, uh, well, it was directed by Dale McDonald, and it was featuring ha- Javier Sotres, Nicola Whitney Griffiths, and my Doris Darling uh, co-cast member, Denisa Rampling. Oh. Also... Yeah playing a uh, character in a story about a ghost featuring a lecherous old guy. Yep. Because <laughs> in this case, the ghost was the lecherous old guy. Was he really that lecherous? Well, he's kind of leering at uh, the medium, at um, uh, Grace, the medium. So Denisa played Anna, who is this... Um, um, it moves into this house where John... And her grandfather was I don't, named John? I don't, think, I don't think she moved into that house. I think she was... You know, she well, was, was living, in that, living in that house for a little... This, this is where it gets a little bit confusing. We'll get into that later. Yeah. But uh, basically, she wanted to talk to her grandfather named John. But her grandfather actually already passed beyond. There's another ghost living in that basement named John. But it's a completely different John. That's right. Yeah. And then the medium, Grace, comes in. And um, she is basically trying to get a client. Because she's a new medium in town, honey. And she can actually communicate with John's ghost. Mm-hmm. Which is the... Except John's ghost is not having any of it, yep. so, and she and she basically tries to 
tell Ma- basically manipulate Anne John's to words so that Anna can hear what she wants to hear. Yeah. To get that sweet, sweet cash, honey. Yeah, that's just yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about medium. How did you guys like it? How did you guys you know want? How, what would be constructive criticism on medium? I enjoyed medium yeah. a lot. Um, for the premise of it, just this one character is invisible. Yep. To the other, to well, to one to character. Uh, that John is invisible to Anna, and that dynamic I thought was interesting. I enjoyed mm-hmm. that. One thing that happens a lot in this play is that two characters are speaking at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I wish when that happens, like you could hear what both of them are saying instead of like just a wall of noise. Oh, I would have to agree with that. Because I feel like that happened quite a bit too much. Mm-hmm. And I liked mm-hmm. the, like, spikes and, like, tension and everything, but at times it just felt like too much yelling. A lot of yelling, yeah. Too much yelling. And I understand when mm-hmm. you're trying to, like, con- talk to a spirit, you have to yell and make this grandiose yeah. thing. But when you have the medium calling out the spirit and you have the spirit going, I didn't say that, and you have the little girl crying really loudly grandpa this, this does not work as well when there's not sound mastering like ad- admittedly yeah I, I, I thought it was really funny that one time when they're all speaking at once the second time I'm like haha okay the third time i'm like all right i don't know what you guys are talking about anymore yeah it's like it, it actually like wants you to, to hear what they're saying and at, there are times when you actually are not are, are just not yeah right? that's right um, one thing I, I would also have to say that I really like, though, is that Medium had pretty good lighting. Like, when the person, like, dies oh, yeah. in the beginning, and he's like, boom, oh, yeah. and then, like, turns That all, was abrupt. Right? It turns all green oh, and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, thought he just that was slips really and falls well. and hits his head. Yeah, I like, thought that was really well That was really well blocked, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Speaking I thought it was of... really good. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I didn't understand, and then we kind of, like, touched upon it, was how old Anna was, because she was going to sell the house, but she talked like she was 13. Uh-huh. And, and the actress herself looks fairly young. Yeah, as she well. looks fairly young. Mm-hmm. Did yeah, yep. Um, and then that that was a quick death in the beginning. Yep, but there's death in this one too. Decisions, decisions. Let's talk about decisions, decisions. One of the strongest plays I've seen in the between the two programs. I have to be honest. Uh, it's by Sean Bloor, mm-hmm. directed by uh, Sydney Haydeck, and the cast is Jeff Gonick as Mister Sellers and. Um, Andrew, Andrew Wade as Dr. Crookshank. And uh, the basic plot of it, this is my favorite script of the lot of them. Mm-hmm. And the the basic plot of it is Sellers comes in to uh, Dr. Crookshank, and Crookshank tells him he has cancer. And Crookshank is the medical ethicist version of Two-Face from the Batman stories. He okay. goes on everything based on coin flips. And it is honestly this sort of very interesting, extremely black comedy. Oh yeah, take very very on dark comedy. Ethical on on uh, ethical philosophy. A lot of it, maybe maybe more metaphysical. Maybe choice. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very interestingly written play, and there was an there's an excellent running metaphor in it with whiskey. Yeah. So in this story, um, yeah. we have a character named Doctor uh, Mister Sellers, Mr. right? Sellers. Yeah, Mister Sellers, who's recently found out that he has you know. Cancer, pancreatic cancer. Is it pancreatic? Yeah, and that'll that'll kill you real quick. That got Bill Hicks in in about uh, six weeks. It also got Satoshi Kon. Did it? Yeah, he he died when he was forty-two. It made me so sad. Yeah, Bill Hicks was, I think, in his thirties. He was in his thirties. 
Yeah. This pancreatic cancer mask. Oh, because it's really quick. Yeah, and it's they, uh, they estimate like in the in the play like what twelve to fifteen months. Yeah, twelve yeah. to fifteen months, and then he was like, eh, fifteen if you're like really lucky. If you're really lucky, yeah. yeah. And then he basically, um, the doctor tells him to go to this medical ethicist to figure out what he wants to do in uh with the rest of his time. You know, if he mm-hmm. wants to pursue treatment or if he wants to just you know. Just live life. Yeah, just live life. Just do whatever he wants for the next fi- twelve to fifteen months. Mm-hmm. And Fellers is not happy about it. Fellers is not happy. Fellers isn't happy. He's like, this because is, when this he visits this doctor, this doctor, you know, yeah. he's like, he flips a coin. He's like, well, you get, you should just uh, screw treatment, just do whatever you want. Yeah. And, and then Fellers is understandably quite, quite ticked off at this. And yeah. He thinks that he can't just make like a, a choice based on a coin flip, and that's how they get into the uh, discussion about how people make choice mm-hmm. and how. Um, they stick with the choice because they rationalize it in their head, even if it's the choice that they don't want. With this delightful example of Johnny Walker Red versus Glenn Fittick, because he offers him whiskey, mm-hmm. uh, and he has a collection of miniatures that the guy doesn't take interest in. He says, Johnny Walker Red or Glenn Fittick? Flip a coin. And he ends up with Johnny Walker Red, and he's drinking that for the entirety of the thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Johnny Walker Red, for those of you who have had the misfortune drink, is not good scotch. It's, it's, it's really kind of actually terrible. Um, Always go with the Glenn Fiddick. Well, it's, it's just it, it's not it's not comparatively terrible. It's it's just really really <laughs> bad, mostly neutral grain spirit. Tastes kind of like polyethylene. It's it's not good whiskey. Um, there are many other better ones for your price point. I'm sorry, I just don't like Johnny Walker Red. <laughs> uh, and the, and he keeps drinking it. And this is his point. The uh, Crookshank's point is that. Random decisions, like those made by a coin flip, will be internalized and justified through some kind of narrative. Because he mm-hmm. goes, I've always been a Johnny Walker Red man, even though his choice was more or less random. And I'm going to say the exact quote, which I wrote down immediately, and content warning. Content warning. Um, Crookshank goes to him, calling him out on this. Ignore that little storytelling fucker in your head. He lies. It knows all you have is crap whiskey and cancer growing in your innards. Don't be the asshole drinking Johnny Red like it's good. Mm-hmm. And that line was kind of amazing because there's a lot of ways that could have been dismissive Mm -hmm. or pretentious or just kind of terrible. And that fit so well. That fit excellently. I think it's because of the strength of the actor Andrew Wade, to be honest. He he really looked the part of like a doctor in the beginning. You're just like, who is this crazy looking guy? (laughs) He looks so weird. And his mannerisms that he Mm -hmm. did, the little things that he did were really, really funny. But it just only increased the doubts of the audience. So when he says something like very, almost like enlightening. Lightly manic. Yeah, lightly manic. Enlightening as that, you kind of go like, holy snap, maybe the the dude's got something. Yeah, like there's moments of genuine passion he has because he's had this sort of almost Willy Wonka-ish Yeah, he's Willy vibe. Wonka-ish. And yeah. the reason... Kind of looks like him, too. Yeah. Yeah, sort of. Gene Wilder. Little, yeah. little bit. Gene rip, Wilder, a little rip. more hair, but... Uh. <laughs> oh! Roast! Get that barbecue sauce That's just the truth. Tonight. I have this guy's get my, hairline. Get that grill going. I have Andrew Wade's hairline. I only wish he had a, I had yeah. his acting ability. Roast master um, Jake. <laughs> uh, the one reason this was not my favorite play in terms of put, being put together compared to uh, Bait mm-hmm. was um, Jeff Gonak as Sellers was very, um, very reserved. And that worked well as a foil to Crookshank, mm-hmm. but a lot of the focus of the story, the focus of the story is on his arc as the sufferer of cancer. Yep. And that worked against him, especially, I think, at the end. Not at the end, actually. At the end, it kind of worked. At but the end, it was really powerful. Yeah, mm-hmm. at the end, it was actually kind of chilling. Mm-hmm. Um, and the end involves a gun. Yeah. 
I mean, what would you change about like that performance? Yeah, what would you change about it? I don't. I, that's the thing. There were just it was just little small moments. Uh, Do you think he was um, too passive? Like, uh, it was. It wasn't maybe restraint. It was maybe speed. Like he seemed to be moving very slowly, almost behind the beat a little bit. But mm-hmm. and I, I understand where that choice was. But I think I'm sorry. I think that was not the just a subtly off choice. What about you, Andy? Um, I was quite fond of it. I thought. I mean, maybe for the exact same reasons you disliked it. Uh, those are the reasons I liked it. It was. Okay. It was like a good contrast to to to, to Crookshank, um, mm-hmm. and it seemed like it was respectful to like you know sufferers of cancer. That's true. Um, I I, yeah. I can see if if he was making that choice with that in mind. Anyways, we had a really good time with Brave New. A um, lot of great stuff. Mm-hmm. Some that we really really love. Some that we were like maybe we're like huh, but still like likable. I would say that it it uh, had a really good variety of things that you know you'd want to see. So, um, good job for Brave New 2017. They're done now. Can't we look wait. very forward to next year. Yeah, can't wait for 2018. So we are now going to go into a few short uh, ads, messages, and then we'll be right back. In which we're going to talk about MTT curtains. UBC Theatre and Film presents Les Belles by Michel Tremblay, translated into English by Bill Glasgow and John Van Burek. Raucous. Realistic. Women. Set in 1965 against the backdrop of Quebec's quiet revolution, 15 women tell their story as lurking resentments ignite against Germain, the lucky winner of one million gold star tickets. Reimagined by MFA director Diane Brown and choreographed by Tara Cheyenne Friedenberg, Les Belsur ends our theater season with a foot-stomping bang, running March 16th to April 1st. Curtain at 7.30 in the Frederick Wood Theater. Student tickets only 11.50. Tickets available at theaterfilm.ubc.ca. This stupid rotten life. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it wrong. I'm about to spit yeah. in this mic like freestyle elfin, you know? Okay, okay. <clears throat> Wait, hold on. Does it make sense? <laughs> no, but cares. All right, let's go. <clears throat> Finally, we. <laughs> You're not even gonna last. Hey, Victoria's pretty good, not bad festival, fountain, just back from France, Montreal. <laughs> what the f? It's a script. I couldn't even. What? Victoria's pretty good, not bad festival, fountain, okay, just back from France. What are you even saying here? Oh, you're trying to say these are the things featured in this one. You should probably specify that, because even a f***ing elf couldn't understand that, okay? Think you can do better than an elf? At CITR, we want to have a variety of voices on the air. Want to write scripts? Do some voice acting? Broadcast your creativity? Volunteer with the CITR production department. No experience? We can also train you in everything required. Send an email to psas at citr.ca to learn more. And don't wait to get your voice on the air. (laughs) (sighs) That is a sigh of relief because Fun Drive 2017 is officially over. To everyone who donated their time, energy, money, forgot to donate now, but will donate online at citr.ca, couldn't donate this year, but will donate in the future, and to our community as a whole, 
CITR and Discorder want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just like thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for trusting us with your money, and we promise to make good use of it. Muchas gracias. Gracias, gracias. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. That was great. Become a CITR member and make some new friends. Members get discounts around Commercial Drive and beyond at Pandora's Box Rehearsal Studio, Bomber Brewing, Stormcrow Tavern, People's Co-op Bookstore, Mintage, High Life Records and Music, Bone Rattle Music Limited, JQ Clothing Limited, The Rio Theater, the Vancouver Music Gallery, North Van, and Tapestry Music Limited in White Rock. What would we do without our friends? What would we do without our friends? Thank well. you for everyone who donated to Fundrive, just to let you guys know. And let's go back to our other friends at Musical... Yeah, at Musical Theater Troupe, yes. Yeah. And now I mentioned that my co-star, Denisa, was in Medium. Mm-hmm. Well, my director, Sebastian Ocomendoza, was in Curtains. All right. Wow, connections. Yeah, he was uh, Bobby Pepper. Let's talk about Curtains. What is Curtains? It's a murder mystery uh, of a show uh, of a show in Boston. A play in Boston is going to go to Broadway. Mm-hmm. So there's a show within a show, a lot of it. And uh, now the book, uh, not the songs, um, this is written by a name you may find familiar, Rupert Holmes. I, I don't, personally. Um. Okay, so mm-hmm. that's perfectly understandable. But you will if I say, do you like pina coladas? Ah. Getting caught in the rain. I feel like you did that on purpose so you could sing that. Uh, a little bit, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can sing about as well as Rupert Holmes, so that kind of helps. But mm-hmm. he's actually quite a good writer. He's there's a lot of good lines in this play. Like the one, so the starts with the murder of this terrible star in the show who mm-hmm. really can't act or sing. Uh, and she's complaining to the director, or, or uh, no, the stage manager. She goes, some guy in the front keeps waving his hands at me, and they're like, that was the conductor. <laughs> There's, like, some great lines like that. Like, um, uh, one uh, the character, uh, an actress, Bambi, her, Bennett, her name's Bambi, uh, she goes, and she goes, I have a thought, and the director, Christopher, goes, oh, have we, how we have waited for this day. And uh, Baby Bennett was played by Emily Saint, and Christopher Belling was paid was uh, uh, played by Kimberly Hornaday. Yep. I want to say that in this play, the casting was very good. And this is a long play. This is about three and a half hours, uh, and it did not feel like three and a half hours. It oh, felt, good. It, it, it moved along well. The dialogue is fun, and the thing is that the main character Frank Chioffi is the, uh, the detective investigating the murder. He's quarantined the theater, so they have to stay in the theater, and yep. they work on the show. And he gives it, he editorializes a lot on the show because mm-hmm. he's a community theater actor. Uh, is played by William Beltran, who's actually really... He, he was a musician for the la, for Curtains last year, the last mm-hmm. year's show, and, well, last semester's show. Wait, I have a question. So is Curtains a... Is, for, is it the same show that... Stories. Stories last year. Sorry, not Curtains. Oh, okay, thank Sorry, you. Sorry, my bad. And he became... He... he, he um, had no prior acting experience. I did not know that. I thought he was actually in acting because the guy is very charismatic. Uh, he is, he has a, it was good that I was in the front row because he's very, he's got a very good delivery, very small, um, uh, good with these little small mannerisms, mm-hmm. good with his line delivery. And he has excellent chemistry with Jocelyn Toledo, who plays Nikki Harris, the 
uh, one of the actresses in the show mm-hmm. who um, I'm guessing is a suspect. She is a suspect, and yeah. she's his love interest. And um, I'm not going to spoil this because they specifically ask you not to at the end. Sure thing. Even though the play is no longer running, but it, 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 it she shows up with a bunch of things that have her fingerprints on them and she makes a point to say that I found this letter oh it has my fingerprints on it so naturally okay naturally <laughs> she can't be it though come on that's too obvious yeah, that's too obvious, that that's too obvious. so Red wait who, who is the who is the murdered person who's the victim here okay so the first victim is this uh, actress working in the show who was really terrible mm-hmm. um, like the one good line Christopher has uh, God God love you Kim like she she had a lot of really snappy lines in this and she delivered them excellently one was let's have a moment of silence in reflection of the audience's reaction to her opening night oh my good lord and her alibi was like i i never go to opening night i walked around and i went into a, a catholic church and this mass was so delightful so very colorful man those catholics know how to put on a show what she said, like, just this very over-the-top characterization. Um, her and uh, Tiffany Lee, who played the show as producer, who... Um, Tiffany Lee is a really impressive singer, and uh, her voice does not seem to fit her body, because mm-hmm. she's very, very small, but she's got, like, a voice that makes the roof shake. And uh, my favorite song in this was her song, It's a Business, about basically, you know, screw you artists, theater's a business. Which, I would love somebody to sing that at the cast of Rent. <laughs> a little bit. I have issues with Rent. Um, wow. Gotta take the shots at Rent. It's, it, it, it's kicking them while they're down a little bit, but... Let's talk about... Let's talk more about Curtain Close. So yeah. That, that's one of the songs that you liked. I, I, I did like that song a lot. And there's uh, a good song uh, called In the Same Boat, which goes through various different forms of the show, and mm-hmm. they bring it together. Really great choreography for that, too, putting it together. This is a large cast, a very large ensemble cast. And everyone seemed to be doing sort of their own thing with it. Like, there was one thing I noticed is that, like, these people had obviously drilled enough and practiced enough that they weren't just waiting for their cues. Ah, okay. Like, they they knew their scenes fractabunt, you know. It was pretty pretty solidly understood there. Mm -hmm. Um. Another thing that I did enjoy about this was that I legitimately did not know where this play was going. I, I legitimately didn't know um, who the murderer was going to be. It was very well written and I think well performed in that regard because they didn't telegraph it at all. Okay. Um, which the person who casts the murderer uh, does a bang up job and would I I am sorry to you but he would fit the visual description fairly well. <laughs> he doesn't t- he does he he gives off he can give off that vibe. Accidentally, he looks kind of like Tom Lalonde from Blink One Eighty Two, um, and he looks uh, like a murderer to you. Tom Lalonde. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Okay. I, I'm also going off the video for um the, the, the what's the one the, the, I, I miss you, which is the only Blink One Eighty Two song I've really you know enjoyed. But yeah, the, yeah, like it's it's um it's it, it's a good vibe in this. This is a very upbeat and very. Um, very good humorous vibe. They take it very well in stride. Uh, if I had, it's, oh, there's okay. Another great line, which is spoken by Bambi, because she is, um, she is uh, Tiffany's character. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on the name right now. Um, uh, the, she was the producer, right? Yeah, yeah. Is is the producer's daughter? Bambi's the producer's daughter, <laughs> and her name is Elaine. In reality, and mm-hmm. she, the mother asked her daughter, "Why did you choose the name Bambi?" Because in the movie, her mother was shot to death by hunters. 
<laughs> it was it was a good line. Uh, uh, just about everyone here had some good lines, um, and uh, it was all in all very good. And there was uh, there were a lot of cute moments. Um, just a lot of really good stuff. Uh, as an MTT production, like as someone who's been in Festival Dionysia and they were working on this concurrently, I am amazed by the fact they were able to put this together, like with the the resources in the Dorothy Somerset. Uh, in that space, well, you know, there's one passion project. And there's one that you, there's, you know, yeah. Inside. I'm amazed that Sebastian was able to do this while directing our show and working as an RA with a full course load. Wow, and some people are superheroes. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's good at it. Like, just he's he's a good director too. Like, that's mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I I wish I could say this was there because I I I would love to be able to discuss the ending of this, but I can't. So, uh, uh, MTT. Uh, Check out our 24-hour musical next uh, September semester. And uh, we we certainly be glad to have uh, viewers for our next show, which I don't know what that will be, but I'm sure it'll be excellent. Mm -hmm. And um, so um, that's kind of like our, our reviews. I know there's some really cool stuff upcoming, mm -hmm. which is going to be fun. Today is actually the opening night for Angels in America, part one. Yeah, that's right. At the uh, Stanley Theater. And I'm going to go Club. see that. You're going to go see it. Um, which is... It's funny because I was actually reading an article about Roy Cohn earlier today. Really? And he's a character in Angels in America. Mm -hmm. Al Pacino plays him in the movie, mm -hmm. which is funny because... Did you see the movie? I do. I own the movie on DVD. Yep. The movie is long. Like um, This is also long. Part one is going to be three hours long. Yeah. The movie is, I think, I think they cut that. The movie is about four and a half hours long. Mm -hmm. Jeez. Uh, that's like the entirety part one and two put together. That's, yeah, it is. Yeah, it, and this is only part one. Well, they, they edit it for film, obviously, yeah. but it's still... it's. From what I understand, a very faithful adaptation. Mm -hmm. And I can understand, because this is really a huge actor's thing. I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to it, too, because uh, Tony Kushner, like, I think this guy who wrote it, yep. huge Bertolt Brecht fanboy. And mm -hmm. as you can tell from many of my um, uh, musings on this show, so am I. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. One thing I, uh, and somebody who actually in my class watched it, they watched um, Angels in America, they had no context of what it was. So they watched it without knowing all about, you know, Kushner as a gay man, like the AIDS crisis yeah. and stuff like that. So they were like, I don't know what the heck it was about. It felt like a huge trip. Well, it, it is. Did they see the play from? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what? they saw the play, this play. Okay. Uh, they got a special preview. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it, they were just like, I don't know what this is about. And I was like, okay, you definitely need to have some sort of like context for it. Because if you just go in like Angels in America, alright, it's gonna be great baseball game. And <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was gonna be about planes. I, I'd never heard of this either, actually. Mm -hmm. and we, and we walked past the theater like I think two weeks ago. But mm -hmm. like, do you want yeah. you want to give a, a brief rundown on what it is? This is a hard play to give a synopsis of without it revealing the plot because really, really it's hard. an ensemble piece. What about a, a thematic thing? A thematic thing. Yeah. So, um, it's a play about homosexuality and religion. Mm -hmm. Actually, not necessarily a play about homosexuality, but it is a play about post-AIDS sexuality. Yeah, government. And religion. Yeah. Government somewhat. And also drugs. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. a little bit with little the, bit. the Mormon stuff. Yeah. Um, like, th those are two things I find, those are three things I find very interesting, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and those are also three very fertile topics for, uh, actually, you have the three of those. You also have most of Aesop Rocky's discography, which is weird. Um <laughs> But uh, the thing is that we are living in a post-AIDS world right now. Like, the, the, the thing is, people who, like, George Lazen... In, in the Western Hemisphere. Nope, in the world. Well, in, you know, some places still have really high, you know, 
percentage not, of the rabies. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. As a post-AIDS world, AIDS is still going on, but yeah. before AIDS was a thing, well, yeah. it was so a it's different... Like it's not like AIDS is over. It's like AIDS, gotcha. AIDS has come, and now we're you know, yes. post And we are living in I that I learned world. something today. Yeah. I see. Um, and like uh, I was reading an interview with George Lazenby last year, and he said about mm-hmm. the 60s, you know, free love was great. There was no AIDS. They had, there was birth control. We could have as much sex as we wanted, and it was fine. That can't exist now. Mm-hmm. That, in, that same environment is impossible in a climate where a disease like AIDS, because there is no cure, there's treatment, but there is no cure, and that treatment will still shorten your life. You, AIDS will still kill you in this day and age. It's not an immediate death sentence, but it will kill you. And as we're living in that world, something like the, the scene in the late 60s and throughout the 70s, uh, we cannot experience that. We can never experience that because of the menace uh, that that was aids that like this Mm -hmm. this this horrible plague which was left to happen because people thought oh this is happening to gay people and and to drug addicts so we shouldn't treat it that's a thing that legitimately happened like i personally believe that the way the reagan government handled aids is tantamount would if it was directed to a specific group of people be tantamount to an act of genocide Mm -hmm. because they deliberately undermined the health services the government health services and Basically, they told people who worked at the Centers for Disease Control to look pretty and do as little as possible. This play comes directly out of that, this sense of horror, betrayal, and this really covert understanding that the the systems around which you live, not the system, capital S, but the systems around which you live, things like religion, government, sexuality, things that are around you can hypothetically be used to kill you on the basis of who you are. And that's a terrifying fear. Mm-hmm. And I think a very relevant one for reasons I should not have to state. Mm-hmm. And on that note, we are going to close our um, show for today. This is the Arts Report. That's a wonderful uh, th- thematic synopsis of, uh, and also historical background of what that play is. So yeah. if people are interested. It is. It, it, is it, it was, it was an award-winning play, too. If you're, it, it, I, I've read it, and I've yeah. seen the film. It deserves to be. It's, yeah. It is really well written there is very little like it i think because there's a lot of imitators of brecht but this is probably this includes david mammoth's plays this is the best brecht influenced play i've i've seen and read in my life mm-hmm. so uh thank you so much we are the arts report and after us will be some nice chill music and also more of your awesome CHR good comparison aids chill vibes <laughs> <laughs> all right gonna need them. have a good one people cheers days in the hours Swiftly turn into seasons, weeks and the months.